Chinch, support this week for the mayor's office is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right, the 4.0, baby. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code THEMAYOR at manscaped.com. I tell you what, though, I love these things, Change. I've had them. I've had Manscaped 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, and this is the 4.0. This one it has a new sleek design. It's perfect for guys like me, though, dude. I'm one of the hairiest guys going. That's a fact. And for, and as the fact. And forever, man, forever, I've been looking for the best trimmers. Even going way back years of when I was playing, I'd always nick myself up, cut myself as the worst. These trimmers right here, man, they are the best. They are the absolute best. Trims up my back, trims up my arm, the jewels, whatever it takes. Yeah. But this trimmer is the absolute best, the 4.0, the lawnmower from Manscaped. I can vouch for that. I know Sean wears a sweater 24 hours a day, <laughs> 365 days a year, and he needs this. He sent me one. I'm so psyched. I shave with it. That's how good you got, it is. That's how yeah, and Chinch, I've tried every every one you could try, every clipper you could possibly buy, I've tried. Yeah. This by far is the best. Yeah, Sean puts the a clipper on his – it'll break the clippers, but not the manscaper. Yeah. So every, everyone, everyone should have this, bro. Everyone yeah, no, should have one of these. They absolutely should. So here's how you get it, okay? You get 20% off and free shipping with the code the mayor, right, Sean? The mayor yes. at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping, manscaped.com, and use the code the mayor. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. And you can look as clean as Casey does now. When he, <laughs> when he doesn't use a Manscaped, it's like Sasquatch. There's the, the people call cops. Lawnmower 4.0. Go get it. It's unbelievable, Chinch. Do it. Hall of Fame broadcaster Marty Brenneman here, and you're stepping inside the mayor's office. Here's your host, Sean Casey. Bam, we're at it again, Chinch. Yes, one we more are. time, baby. We're back in business. And this week, it's going to be a good one. I it, I got spider webs, I feel, in the area. So uh, I, I, that might give you a clue of how, who I'm about to bring in. But I'm going to let, let, let's, let's see. Uh, I got some things written down here. And Chinch, we were talking before. We, we, we almost figured we could do like five hours. hours with this guy. We're going yes. to respect his time and keep it low. We, we could do five. like a six-part documentary <laughs> series on how amazing of an athlete this next person exactly, is. Exactly, dude. So listen, th this guy right here. One of the greatest athletes probably professional sports has ever seen. And I don't think he gets talked about enough. That's why we're going to talk about him a ton today. Played in the NFL and Major League Baseball. Dominated, was a 1991 Pro Bowler until the St. Louis Cardinals said, hey, how about $1.7 to play baseball full-time? He's like, yeah, that sounds good. I'm out of here, right? So then he goes and plays, plays Major League Baseball, 15-year big league career, 1999 All-Star, um, this is a good one, too. He once had a higher kick return average in football than his teammate, a guy, one of my teammates, primetime Deion Sanders. That's good. Which is pretty cool. <laughs> um, 
you know, he's uh, he's the only person in the history of the world to have been an enforcer alongside Dion on the gridiron and to protect Mark McGuire in the lineup in 1998, <laughs> one of the greatest seasons Summers has ever seen. Listen, in 1996, Sports Illustrated listed him as one of the 15 greatest college athletes of all time. It was a class that included Bo Jackson, John Elway, Wilt Chamberlain, Jim Brown, Dave Winfield, Jackie Joyner, Kersey, just to name a few. Jesus. And this guy was number 10 on the list. So let's bring him in. You know, not only is he one of the one of the best athletes this world's ever seen, probably one of the best humanitarians, too. Also, we were alumni together at University of Richmond. So, you know, this guy's an absolute stub. Let's bring him in. My man, Brian Jordan. What's up, BJ? What's up, Case, man? How you doing, man? <laughs> oh, man, I'm doing great, dude. I'm doing great. I'm, it's so funny, bro. Like, when I got to University of Richmond in 1992, you were there a few years earlier. But it was like you were just making the big leagues. You had just got done with the NFL. And it was so funny because, you know, Coach Atkins, you know, was so proud. Everybody's so proud. Like, oh, man, that's Brian Jordan. That's our guy. University of Richmond. And my, but I remember having a lot of pride, like, thinking, like, oh, that's our guy right there. So take us back a little bit, bro, to you growing up in the Baltimore area and and really, you know, choosing football or baseball and coming to the University of Richmond, can you just talk about what your thought process was was there and, and, and what made you choose Richmond? You know, it, it was interesting, man, because growing up in Baltimore, Maryland, you know, my parents made me write down my dream early on when I was very young. And my dream was to be different. I wanted to play two professional sports because my dad was a great athlete and my granddad would always brag about how good my dad was. So I wanted to be better than my dad. And my mom being an educator, of course, you know, I had to write down my goals on how I'm going to reach that dream. And, you know, Baltimore, University of Maryland was probably the top school for me. And believe it or not, basketball was my favorite sport. So I was a big big Lynn Bias fan, man, at University of Maryland. And when they recruited me, I used to sit behind the bench and watch him play, man. Wow. they had me as a junior. It gave me a full scholarship. So I actually, I didn't take any trips to any other college. And I had a lot of big colleges around the world coming after me to play football, play baseball. But Merlin was that school. And then when I was ready to sign a dotted line as a senior, Bobby Ross was the head coach there. And he said, wow. you got to sit out your freshman year of baseball. And I looked back at my parents and I was like, it's no way. I can miss a season of baseball. So I decided to go to University of Richmond. And, you know, of course, they would let me do anything to come to University of Richmond. So (laughs) that was a great opportunity for me. And, and, you know, it worked out great academically. Uh, Graduation was, you know, the number one thing. I had to graduate from college. And I was just fortunate. Blessed to have those opportunities to play two professional sports. How did you navigate that, though? Because, dude, I know I played I – mean, obviously, I'm not even close to the athlete you were, but I played baseball – division playing Division One baseball at Richmond, like, and it was a tough school academically. Like, I was overwhelmed at times. Like, how did you manage the football and, you know, the fall and the spring? Like, you know, did you did – you, did, and did you do football at all in the spring, or were you done when baseball started? That was the best thing about it, man. I didn't do any spring football, man. That's (laughs) That's when guys killed each other out there. So I'm just laughing at it when I go off to baseball. I didn't have to deal with all that pain. (sighs) But you know what? I I had a great goddess counselor who who really kept me focused, prioritized my time. 
And Richmond just did a great job of, of making you focus on academics along with sports. And uh, that's that was number one. I wanted to graduate. And, and still have that opportunity to play two professional sports. There's a big pride so, thing, by the way, real quick. Casey yeah. getting caught in a web. The pride of Richmond athletes. I got a lot of friends who are athletes. Uh, I just had my 25th high school, uh, uh, what do you call it, reunion. And a dude who went to Richmond after you guys came up to me. He's like, you know Sean Casey? Oh, my God. Him and Jordan, they are like the Michael Jordan of our and everybody brags about you guys and everybody brags about that school down there. It's it's the cool mayor, that, baby. The, the mayor, Sean Casey, yeah. baby, you gotta love it. You gotta love it. Yeah. Oh my god, dude! It's a it, hey, listen, it's a small place. So like you know, when when guys like us come out, they're like, oh yeah, you know, what I mean? it's not like you know, so it's a big deal. Um, Brian, you know, for you though, you ended up being a first round pick by the Cardinals, right? Mm-hmm. At, a, at, a, at a, for, for, for baseball, you were a seventh round pick by the bills, right? For let, football. Let me talk about that. Talk about that. Talk to me. You know what? After my junior year, uh, at Richmond, uh, we played the Richmond Braves in an exhibition and Derek Lilliquist was like the Braves top prospect. And he was the starting pitcher that day, and I just raked against him. <laughs> and I'm sitting there like, man, if this is the top prospect, I can play Major League Baseball. <laughs> and this is the year they had, like, Dave Justice out there, Mark yeah. Lipke. And I'm looking at those guys as being one step away from the big leagues. So after that game, the St. Louis Cardinals scout came up to me and, you know, too many hits in the head. I can't remember the scout's name, but <laughs> – you know, he said, we want to draft you first round. And I said, wow, that sounds cool. But I'm coming back to graduate and play another year of football. And so wow. through negotiations, you know, they signed me on a condition that I could come back, graduate from college and play my red shirt junior year. And so I went off to Ontario, Canada to play like 30 rookie ball games. And I hit over like 350. And then I went back to school and had a really good year. And I was projected to be a third-round pick at cornerback. So I had to go to the senior bowl and prove myself. And I played with Dan Reeves and the coaching staff he had at Denver at the time. And all week in practice, I mean, I was knocking heads and, and having fun. So after that week of practice, I was projected to be either the first or second safety taken in the first round, me or Steve Atwater. Wow. So I was Whoa. on a high, man. I was like first round in baseball, first round in oh football. My God. And then in the first quarter of the senior ball, I break my leg and dislocate oh. my ankle. Oh, and, no. And I still went to the combine on crutches and the cast. And every doctor that looked at my leg said it was so severe that I wouldn't play football. And, oh. you know, from there, I just had to prove them wrong. And I had surgery. And in three months, I was running straight ahead. I couldn't go side to side 100%. Wow. But as long as I could go that way, I was going to knock somebody out. And, uh, <laughs> Buffalo, Buffalo gave me that opportunity, and I led all defensive backs in, in training camp. So I thought I made the team. And so they didn't come get my blue book, so I'm all excited. I get down, and I'm in the weight room training. And Marv Levy calls me in his office and said I was a 46-man on a 45-man roster. And, you know, that was the years that Buffalo was like – It was legit. like in the Super Bowl every year. Jim Kelly, I mean, Bruce Smith, they had a great team. So I was really disappointed that I didn't make that team. But he wanted me to stay on injured reserve for the year. And I said, look, after taking all that pain in training camp, release me if I don't come back. 
then, I mean, if nobody picked me up, I'll come back to Buffalo. But I didn't even leave the parking lot. And Atlanta Falcons was already calling. So, uh, <laughs> that's, that was the reunion of me and Deion Sanders coming together. And, wow. Man, wow. had a lot of fun in Atlanta. Dude, where, where was your heart, though, bro? Where, where was your heart? You were playing minor league baseball. And then you're all of a sudden, you know, trying to get to the NFL. Like, how does that work? You know, what, what, where was your heart through this whole thing? Where, you know, where did you well, want to go? You know what? My heart was in football. You know, yeah. I love football. I love the contact. I love the camaraderie on that field. So football was my number one. And I wanted to prove those doctors wrong. And, of course, I went down to Atlanta, watched Dion and everybody else because that was the year they were just awful. Yeah. Yeah. And you're just sitting there watching Dion score touchdowns and play by himself. But then I finally got my opportunity to play with him. And, uh, man, we just turned it around with uh, when Glanville came in. And, you know, there was the men in black then, and we had a lot of fun. And, you know, my third year alternate in the Pro Bowl, man, I was, I was starting to take off. Yeah. I wasn't ready to give up football at the time, but, you know, how can you turn down a sport that's a lot safer than football? Yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you have, like, bro, I, 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 was, I watched a bunch of your films, like, wow, could you hit? Like, a, a matter of fact, matter of fact, we, Chinch went and got some comps. Yeah. And your comps, your comps on pro for football, the NFL. On pro football for, reference. Yeah. Like, pro oh, football really? reference. We're like, who's BJ comp to? Ronnie Lott and Rod Woodson. That was pretty good. Like, hey. What? That's and that was my guy, Ronnie Lott, man. Mm. I wanted to be just like him, man. And you know, it's funny, you know, after my career, his career, I talked to him and he's like, damn, I wish I'd have played baseball instead of football. <laughs> his body, his body is jacked up right now, mm-hmm. man. And I'm sitting there saying, Man, I'm glad I got out when I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Dude, what's the diff what's the difference? Like, I know in, in, in Major League Baseball, like I just know like you know, trying to be calm in the box, slow the game down. I'm facing Randy Johnson. I got a 92-mile-an-hour slider. I got to try and hold the position, shoot balls in the gaps. Like, what's – and I always said, like – I remember a coach told me one time, you can't have a football mentality in baseball, right? So, like, can you take us into the mind of what was it like being an NFL safety and the mentality of that to being an all-star big leaguer? How are they well, different? You know what? You know, I tell my son, who's 10 years old, playing football right now, I said, kill or be killed. That's the attitude you got to have in the game of football. Because, you know, you don't want to be that one that get, get, takes the hit. So you better dish it out. And that, that's the way you play. You play aggressive. And it's, it's great what that coach told you. You cannot play baseball with a football <laughs> mentality. Because when I first came in the league, that's exactly what I did. <laughs> and I remember facing uh, Brett Saberhagen. He threw one up under my chin, and I just had that football mentality. I'm going to kill him one <laughs> the And next thing you know, you know he went neck, head, and over the head, and I'm swinging for the fences. And, you know, this is my first lesson by Ozzie Smith when I walked back. And you guys know Red Fox and oh, yeah. son. I walked back and he said, you big dummy, this is not football, this is baseball. And that was my first lesson, man. You got to leave that aggressiveness on the football field and be patient in the game of baseball. Oh, my gosh, man. That is so great. Well, and, and like another guy that obviously did what you did, and it's amazing that you guys played in the same team in the NFL, was Deion Sanders, who was one of my favorite teammates ever. You know, yeah. I think he was a little less prime when he was with me in 2001. 
than when he was with you in Atlanta in 1991. Can you talk about Dion? Like, what made him so special out on that football field? He was smart. I mean, I tell everybody, forget about his athleticism. Yeah, he's fast, he's quick, but he studied film like no other. And mm. he led by example on the field, and everything became a competition. And that made everybody better on the ball club. So I loved his mentality. I loved his attitude. And he made everybody around him better. And that's the part that people don't know about Deion Sanders. This guy didn't use foul language. He didn't drink. He signed everything he could sign for kids. And I just loved his spirit, man. And, you know, I I wanted to continue to play football because I was getting there. I was right there. And he was going to teach me this, how to study. I didn't even know how to study football. You know, all through Richmond, you know, those big schools got everything. So they know yeah. everything. So I was still learning the game of football. And uh, this guy, he knew it. And he knew what was going to happen before it happened. And that's why he was so great. What I, I went back and looked at an awesome highlight. And I think it was a big game. It was back when you guys took on the Niners. And I remember it was like Dion versus Jerry Rice. Yeah, and and I and I believe there was a there was a play where Dion went back and and he and he kind of ruffled it and you picked it off like he, he put I it in there you picked it off and then bam you got it back to Dion thinking you know hey we we, we get it into Dion's hands you know it's it, it's safe can you take us back to that game you know when when it was Dion versus Jerry Rice and that game Falcons versus the Niners well before that game we played the Niners and Glanville said well we're not going to have Dion cover Jerry Rice. And what happened? Jerry Rice scored five touchdowns. So <laughs> this game was the game. And to watch two, I mean, to me, greatest guys at their positions go at it. And for me, my job is so easy when, <laughs> when I see Dion on my side. You know, it's one-on-one. I'm going to let you go. I will hit everybody that's moving your way. But as long as you pick off the ball or we can get the ball in his hands, something great is going to happen. And to see both of those guys going after that ball, nobody giving up, and the ball ends up on Jerry Rice's helmet, and I say, yo, this is an easy interception right here. But you know the first person I looked for was Dion, man. That that was, in my childhood, one of the greatest games I've ever seen. And no matter – it was one of the most exciting football games I have ever seen in my life. I Just a quick question. I'm sorry to interrupt, but – Were you – could you see out of the corner of your eye when Dion tried to shake his hand before before the first play? I loved it, man. I loved it. And I loved Jerry Jerry Rice's – you know what? The hardest I've ever been hit, believe it or not, was Jerry Rice. He blindsided me (laughs) when I came up on the line for a blitz, and I didn't see him coming. And I swear a lineman hit me. (laughs) But it tells you how good Jerry Rice is. He wasn't just a great receiver. He was a complete player, man. Mm -hmm. He wasn't afraid to stick his head in there. And hit you. He wow. did his job. He protected his teammates. And I thought that was so cool with Deion trying to shake his hand and he didn't <laughs> want to shake it. That's so competition, baby. I yeah, love it. Yeah. <laughs> what was it when you look back, Brian? What was your favorite game? Like, you, is there a game that you remember in your NFL career that you look back and say, man, that was, a, that was something special? You know, my favorite game was against the Saints, man. That's the robbery of, of the Falcons. And we beat them in the first round of the playoffs. And I blocked. Morton's kick at the end of the game, and nobody oh, ever God. talks about it. Right. But I got my finger on his ball, and right. all of a sudden it was like 10 yards short, which is it's an easy kick for him. But 
that was such a fun game and exciting because you got two rivalries going at it in the playoff environment. Mm. And to come out on top in New Orleans yeah. was just fun. And everybody laughed about the men in black because we would pick off the ball, toss it back, yeah. keep tossing it back until we get in the end zone. <laughs> and, and those announcers thought we were crazy when the game's on the line. Still tossing the ball back, and next thing you know, we scored a touchdown. At the end of the day. So, <laughs> so you know, it, it was great. It was a lot of fun playing with Glanville and MC yeah. Hammer and MC oh, yeah. Hammer. Yeah. Too legit. Had it going on. Too legit to quit. How's right? How, how was to quit? How was Glanville? What was he like? He just seemed like a character. Character. He, you know, he was a character, man. Uh, he was one of those guys you you love him as a coach, but you would hate him. If you were working with the media, because he would crush the media every time they get close to the field. And he wasn't afraid to tell you his opinion. He would cuss you out in a second, but he would hug you at the same time. So I, I thought with bringing him into Atlanta, he brought discipline to the team. And defensively, man, we, we were just crazy. We just came. That's the way he taught it. And that's the way we played the game, man. Balls out every play. And, uh, you you gotta love that if you if yeah. you're a football player. Well, speaking of balls at every play, like when I looked back, you know, when you go back to football at the era you played, bro, especially at safety, when you and you think back to guys like Ronnie Lott who would make you pay, and I and like you were that kind of guy too. You come across and you come across Brian Jordan, you're gonna pay. Yeah. But I saw a couple times like you guys, you know, what you guys would lead with your helmets. You know, you guys it was a different ball game then. Can you talk about the NFL now? And what do you think about, you know, the, the, the tackling? What do you think about flags being thrown every play? <laughs> that drives me crazy. Yeah. But what yeah, what mean, about the NFL now? I would have lost a lot of money right now playing in the game <laughs> because back in my era, we were taught to lead with the front of your helmet. And, wow. you know, that's helmet to helmet. You know, we didn't even think about concussions <laughs> back then. So I kind of like that they're trying to change the game and make it safer. But the only problem is, now you see more lower extremity, uh, extremity injuries, you know, yeah. ankles, knees. I mean, every week is something different. You know, guys' hamstrings. I'm like, how is hamstrings getting hurt so much now? Because <laughs> guys are getting drilled in those legs now. So it's a different game. I, I like the fact at the youth level they've been teaching them to keep that helmet out of there. But it's difficult, man. You're going 100 miles an hour. It's going to happen. And I hate, especially in college football, I hate to see those young men going there, giving their best effort, and either the running back receiver puts his head down at the same time and you get tossed out of the game with a targeting penalty. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I think it's unfair, it's unintentional, but uh, they're trying to make the game safer. I get it. Yeah. yeah. Do you think sometimes when you're going full speed, though, like it's tough to like make an adjustment, you know? Yeah. Oh, it is. There's no, no question about it. You're going 100 miles an hour. I mean, that's the way you're taught on a football field. So it's going to happen. It's a shame that the defensive guy always pays the price. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Dude, so like your love for football, it's funny to hear you talk right now. There's a certain passion in your heart for the game, obviously. But after 91, you go to the All-Pro. You go to the all, you're an All-Pro in, in football. But then all of a sudden, you're made an offer by the Cardinals that really you couldn't refuse to leave football and go to baseball. Can you take us back to that story? Like what happened there? Yeah. You know, it, it was it was tough, man. I'm going to be honest, because football, I was just starting to take off, and, and that was my passion, football. But, you know, I would leave and go play 30-something games in the minor league, so I didn't play a lot of minor league baseball each year. I would 
you know, after 35, 40 games, I'm like, I'm in the weight room getting ready for football. So I really didn't give baseball a fair shot. So after the three years, I went to Glanville and the president said, hey, you better hurry up and re-sign me to a deal or the Cardinals are going to come calling. And wow. the Falcons dragged their feet. And I said, well, the Cardinals offered me a three-year guaranteed deal. Mm-hmm. I got to give baseball a full shot. And it's funny, Sean, because I used to call baseball players wimps, you know, as I played <laughs> in the NFL. And as I played my first 162 games, I was like, I got a new respect for baseball, man. <laughs> it is a grind mentally and physically, man. So, yeah, I had a new respect for those guys. And, uh, man, I had good leadership, though, with Ozzy Smith, Willie mm-hmm. McGee. They brought me in well. And it didn't take me long, man. I didn't play a lot of minor league baseball and, and jump right to the big leagues. That that helped out a lot, too. What's some of the best advice Ozzy Smith, Willie McGee gave you? You know, it slowed the game down because I was, I was going 100 miles an hour. Like you said, <laughs> I had that football mentality. I'm diving all over the place, killing my body. And Ozzy's like, man, get off the ground, man. You, and I'm like looking at Ozzy dive all over the place saying, <laughs> what, how can you talk? But, uh, no, but I had to slow the game down, man. And I remember when I first got up, I was seeing nothing but fastballs, and I was just crushing them. And I'm sitting there saying, this game is easy. <laughs> and then Doug Drayback on a Monday night game on ESPN struck me out four times on curveballs. <laughs> and I found my way back into minor leagues real wow. quick. <laughs> it, it, you know, it, it was lessons learned along the way. Uh, but the great thing about it is I was able to make some adjustments pretty quick. And that's something that a lot of guys can't do. And yeah. so it paid off for me to put in the work and, and have great guys around me to teach the game. It's funny when you look when you look back when you when you first got called up. I, I always like to ask guys, you know, when you first got called up, like, can you tell us the story of you just getting called up to the big leagues? Yo, know, it was crazy, man, because Ted Simmons was my GM. Oh, jeez. <laughs> And if you know Ted Simmons, he's crazy. I love him. But I had just played in double A the year before and played 30-something games. And I was like, hey, I had a great spring training in big league camp. And I'm saying, okay, I'm going to triple A. No doubt about this. I'm going to Louisville. And he looked at me and said, no, I'm sending you back to Arkansas. So we're going back and forth. I mean, we are, you know, he's going to cuss me out. I'm cussing him back out. And he said, you know what? I'm going to send you to Louisville. And that first week, if you are hitting 100, I'm sending you all the way back to Florida State League. I said, said, let's go, baby. Let's go. I accept that challenge. So now I'm on my way to Louisville. And I stopped through Atlanta where my house was to spend the night with the family. And all of a sudden, I get this call. And it's Ted Simmons. (laughs) And he's saying, hey, you're on a flight in the morning to St. Louis. And I'm like... What? You just said it be the double A. Because <laughs> Andres Galarraga on opening night got hit in the wrist, broke his wrist. Oh, yeah. And they, that was my first day in the big leagues, man. It was crazy. I got off the plane, went to the clubhouse, and my name was in a lineup. Holy I'm like, crap. holy cow. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I don't even have enough time to panic. <laughs> and then I went in there and, and went two for five with four RBIs, and I was like, this game is easy. I don't have to play. <laughs> <laughs> I told Ted Simmons, see, I told you I should have been in Louisville. <laughs> <laughs> That's 
That's awesome. That's so great. Oh my god, that's so great. Oh my god. Yeah, that dude, was a crazy first experience, man. That is so great. Who were the who were the veterans on that team besides you know was Ozzy there? Willie were there? Who who were some Ozzie, of the other guys? Willie on that McGee. Team? I mean, uh, shoot, man, uh, Jose Akendo. Yeah. Uh, oh, we had Gerald Perry, the old crafty pitch hitter. Uh, Todd Worrell, who was like Todd Worrell. Yes. Oh my gosh, man! We had Rick Honeycutt was there, Alan Bennis, uh, Andy Bennis. So we we had a pretty good young team, man. We were young. Ray Langford, one of the younger guys, and Bernard oh, yeah. Gilkey. We were outfield, so <clears throat> it was wow. a fun time. Wow. That's some. Yeah. Go ahead, Sorry, I was going to ask one question. So when when you made this, you make this transition. Were there football people <laughs> who told you you're being dumb? And were there baseball people who didn't want to accept you and say, get out of here, you're a football player? Well, baseball, of course, everybody was like, you're crazy for playing football when you got talent to play baseball. (laughs) So I went through all that. But when I started playing baseball, it was a lot of football people saying, you should still be in the NFL. What are you doing? You were taking off. And, you know, after my first three years with the Cardinals, that deal ran out. And Al Davis of the Raiders called and wanted to sign me to a two-year deal. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, I'm like, Raider Nation. (laughs) But then the Cardinals offered me another three-year deal, and I was like, it's not meant for me to go back. So I stuck with baseball. Oh, my God. Did Dion and you ever have a conversation about the football-baseball conversation of what you should do? You know what? We didn't have that conversation. We would always talk about it, you know, during the football times we played together. But we never had that conversation when my third year was up and all the, you know, hype about me going to play baseball. I think he was mad at me because, you know, I was a big part of that defense. And, you know, when I left, they were moving into the new dome. And the defense was bad. I mean, I used to watch the games, and I turned them off because I was so mad that the safety that they signed, he sucked. And, <laughs> and you know, the defense was bad. I mean, they ended up, after having a winning season in 91, I think they only won, what, four games that next year, man. And I think everybody was – well, Dion was mad because I left. <laughs> and, and that's why eventually he left. And won some rings with uh, Dallas and San Francisco. So, yeah. So, I I think he took it hard when I left and, and just stuck with baseball. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Was- play, playing with playing with Dion in baseball, this is, this is what I think is so special about Brian Jordan. You know, he was so physical on the, on the football, on the, on the football field and you're an all pro there. But then you go to baseball, bro, and you're an all-star. You're like, I remember watching you play. I'm like, that guy's different than everyone out here. Like, we're all, I'm hitting balls. I'm running like I'm ice skating in quicksand. You look <laughs> like you're about to, you know, Ronnie Lott somebody in the outfield. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's crazy. So, like, when I watch Dion play baseball, I say, you know what? Hey, Dion is a pretty good baseball player. You know, he does some things with his speed that are different. But you were different, bro, as far as, like, you were an impact bat. On, on the field. And and I also, the other thing was, bro, watching you play all these years and your approach to hitting, like you were, you never struck out less than 88 times in a season. You were a power hitter that went, to, that loved the right center gap too. Can you talk yeah. about how your approach as a hitter evolved, especially when you got to the big leagues? Well, you know, when I first came up to the big leagues, I had that big leg kick. 
because I was just thinking about just hitting home runs. <laughs> I mean, I would have loved to play the game today. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just swing for the fences, lift that leg up and That's go. That's all they do now. But early on, you know, I started that and I figured out, man, I'm taking away my speed. A part of this game that, you know, I can score a lot of runs. I can steal bases. So I put that foot down, start spreading out and driving the ball, like you said, the right center field gap. And, you know, you make a mistake in, it's instinctive anyway. That's going to, I didn't have a sweet swing to Sean Casey. (laughs) If you look at my different stances every year, you just never knew what you were going to get from me. (laughs) I might have that straight leg sitting out there. (laughs) You know what? Growing up in Baltimore, Cal Ripken was that guy, you know, watching him. A hundred different A million stances. stances, hands up here, hands exactly. down there, low, high. Yeah. Uh-huh. It all depended on how your body felt, and you would switch your stance. And that's where I adapted that, but my focus is always right center field. And use your speed, hit doubles, triples. And, uh, you know, Cardinals was a speed team anyway, so, yeah. you know, playing with that, that, that really helped me adjust my swing, man. But – I look back at it and I say, man, I could have way more home runs if I would have just kept with that leg kick. But, <laughs> but you know, to, to end my career with a 282 career Dude, average, man, I cannot complain about that. Bro, your numbers <clears throat> were unbelievable as far as, like, you hit for average, you hit for power, you know, you could steal bases, you played gold glove defense. I mean, it was you were a complete player. You talk about the Cardinals, though, and their, and their speed, and then they started to evolve a little bit. My first year in the big leagues in 98 was my, was my rookie year, and you know I still have a great picture of, of you and me at first base. Like I said, I was so excited. Richmond Spiders, Brian Jordan. Like, I know McGuire was there and everything, but I was like, I can't wait to meet this Brian Jordan guy. Like This is the guy I've been waiting to meet <laughs> since my freshman year in, in college. But can you take us back to that team, bro? Because for me, that summer in 98, man, of, of McGuire and Sosa – going head-to-head, but the McGuire part of it, he was the only guy in my 12-year big league career that I came out to watch batting practice. I'm like, I've never seen balls going Big Mac, Mac land. Like, I'm trying to hit a ball single up the middle. Big Mac's going deep into the third deck there at Bush Stadium. Dude, you were right in the middle of that lineup with him. Take us back to the summer 98. What was that like with the McGuire mania there in St. Louis? Dude, everybody was talking about the pressure Mark McGuire trying to hit them home runs. It was pressure trying to hit behind him, man. <laughs> booed all the time in batting practice. It was crazy. I mean, it was they would boo me in batting practice because Mark McGuire would lead the cage and here come old right center field gap hitting Brian Jordan. <laughs> oh, I hated BP, man, oh, for a while, but – no, that was just an awesome year, though, man. Mark McGuire, I love playing with him. He was a great teammate, man, very humble. You know, through that whole home run chase, man, he just he just kept the media out of the locker room. You know, he did such a, such a professional. And, you know, with Sammy Sosa, man, his personality, to me, that was the best ever, you know, because the two personalities, totally different from one another, but came together in the end. You know, with this this home run chase, which changed baseball, yeah, brought baseball back on the map. And you know, it's just a shame the way it ended with with the whole media in the locker. You know, checking out the old yeah, the old, yeah. So that was crazy, and I hated it for Mark McGuire, man, because he was such a good guy. You know, to for the media to do that too, but you know, it is what it is. But man, what a year, man! That was. 
it was a lot of pressure though, man, to hit behind Mark because you knew you had to perform. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. Because he wouldn't get pitched to. And uh that was the fun part about it for me. I, I always loved the challenge. And good gracious, I had a lot of RBIs and scored <laughs> <laughs> yeah. a lot of runs that year. Yeah. So yeah. you had a guy yeah, on first was, probably was, every other every other at bat. He was sitting on first base, right? Yeah, yeah and, I, <laughs> I, and I keep getting on him. I could have had a, a way more RBIs if he wasn't running in front of me. <laughs> yeah. I could have had some triples that turned into doubles because he had to stop. Man, I was like, man. <laughs> 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 station to station. I know. It's going yeah, like that. Oh exactly. My God. Which I don't blame him, man. We couldn't lose him. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> dude, I remember it's so funny. Like, it was my rookie year. And, and, and like, I think it was like, uh, it was probably September, early September. You guys were in, you guys were in St. Louis. He, oh, no, no, you came to, you came to Cincinnati and, and he had 60, he had 60 in St. Louis against us. Uh-huh. And then you guys played the Cubs, and then you were coming to Cincinnati. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, this is going to work out perfect. He's going to hit one more against the Cubs. They're going to come to Cincinnati. He's going to hit 62 against us. And and I'm like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to give him a huge hug. When he rounds first, I'll be like, dude, congratulations. You know what I mean? But he ends up hitting 62, I believe, in St. Louis. And then you guys, I don't know if you remember this, but you guys came to Cincinnati 60,000 people sold out. I think yeah. McGuire wasn't even supposed to play, and he went into LaRusse's office like, listen, I got to play because these people are all here to see me. It was just, yeah. it was its I own was beast. Amazing. It was its own beast. It really yeah. was. Yeah. And I tell you, he was the biggest human being I ever played with <laughs> baseball, man. Yeah. His forearms was bigger than my thighs, man. I was like, holy cow, man. <laughs> yeah. He was a big, big boy, to say the least. Jeez. Yes. So <clears throat> we share something in common. After 98, you end up going to Atlanta. So before uh-huh. I ask what we share in common, what was it like for you to now go back to Atlanta as a baseball player? You know what? That, <laughs> you know, I was courted that year because I was a free agent. And, you know, going back to Baltimore hometown, I mean, they really pulled out the red carpet and it was really close. But and I went to New York. At the Yankees, they had Bernie Williams. He was unsigned. I was unsigned. So that was fun just talking to Steinbrenner because all we talked was football. We didn't even talk baseball. Time out. We wanted you. Fans wanted you. (laughs) The other guy had a pretty good career, and they probably made a decent move. But as a native New Yorker, we were banging. In the back of my mind, I knew Bernie Williams was a good fit in New York, and they wanted to keep him there. So. You know, how can you turn down three Cy Young winners and Bobby Cox as a, as a as a manager, Chipper Jones, Andrew Jones? And I wanted to win. You know, and Baltimore wasn't ready to win at the time. So, and that was home for me back in Atlanta. And, yeah. you know, where my kids were going to school. So then there's a chance to, you know, hit behind Chipper Jones. Oh. You know, so it was enough pressure hitting behind Mark McGuire. <laughs> I go to Atlanta and I'm I'm put in that number four spot behind Chipper, and uh, Chipper won the MVP that year. And I had a phenomenal year, man. I think I hit the most RBIs of my career that year, and I hit like 25 home runs. But uh, and you and you talk to him, he say I thought Brian was going to get the MVP that year. Wow! But I think yeah. he hit 40 something home runs, so that was that was an easy pick. <laughs> but, man, uh, you- it was a lot of fun, man. Chipper was probably one of the greatest hitters I ever hit behind, man. You know, one at bat, it was, we were playing against Philadelphia, and we're sitting in the box. He's ready to get up there and hit, 
And I said, Chip, what are you looking for? He said, you know what? He's going to throw me a change up and I'm going to hit it to the moon. Come on. I said, okay. He threw him three straight fastballs right down the middle. He walking back past me. And I'm like, (laughs) what happened? He said, he didn't throw me the change up. I wish I was that good. Well, I can wait on a change up. Oh and the next and back, same situation, Sean. We're, all, we're up. He's ready to go up, but we're talking. And I'm like, dude, you better hit a fastball this time. He said, nope, he's going to throw me a change up. And sure enough, he throws the change up and he hits it to the moon. I was like, I was like this guy is the best, man. This is unbelievable. Oh my wow. Gosh. Wow. Dude, could you do that? Like I was I a I was a I was a sit fastball adjust, you know. I was looked I I, I hunted the fastball, anything off speed, I, I I adjusted to it. I heard Chipper like Manny Ramirez was a guest hitter sometimes. Chipper, like, could what was your approach to the play? Because I couldn't do what Chipper Jones did. My approach was sea ball, hit ball, man. I didn't care what you throw. I just, <laughs> if it's close as a strike, I'm going to hit it somewhere, man. <laughs> Keep it simple. Keep That's it simple. Cra- you know what? That's the crazy thing about it, man. I've really never learned the game of baseball, man. I, I can sit here and listen to you talk hitting, and which I watch on MLB yeah. Network, man. I mean, this is what you guys came up on, man. You guys look for certain pitches. You didn't miss them. I didn't even learn to do that. It was C ball, hit ball. I don't yes. care where you throw it. Let your abilities take over and drive the ball somewhere, man. So I wish I would have learned the game and, and probably spent a little more time in the minor leagues to learn it, but just Dude. didn't happen. Uh, but no, it's amazing that you're like, you, even you saying that to have the success you had. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's phenomenal. Like just a lot of athleticism, eye hand coordination right. and competition. I always tell kids too, I go, listen, I don't care how your swing feels sometimes. You got to compete. Like that guy is trying to be, yeah. beat you. You're trying to beat him. We got a one-on-one grudge match. Like you just sometimes got to compete, right? That's right. That's <clears throat> that's the bottom line, man. And, and young guys don't realize that, you know? Yeah. You got to compete every pitch, every play, especially defensively, man. I, I can't stand when guys let that ball drop in for a single win. You know, if you, if you hustle and lay out for that ball, you know, you're saving your pitch. But yeah. you don't see that anymore. <laughs> um, t- talk about the 99 All-Star game. Because we it was my first All-Star game, too, bro. Yeah. And I know it was yours. And I remember at University of Richmond, they're like, oh, man, two Richmond Spiders. Like, first time, we, you know, we'd ever been to an All-Star game together. I thought that was really cool. And I have that, still have that picture of you and me by the Green yeah, Monster. Yeah, me too, man. That, Dude. That was awesome, man. It, <clears throat> even better for you, man. Was that the second year? It was my second year, yeah. It was yeah. My second year. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm admiring you, man. I'm like, look at this spider come up here making his second year. That is awesome. Oh, but no, that was a lot of fun, man. You know, I told everybody, you know, playing in Boston and you know, having all the greats come out, Ted Williams yeah. come out in the golf cart. The I didn't care if I made another all-star game, man, because that was the best <laughs> ever. It would never get better. And uh it was worth it, man. It yeah. was it was man, it was, I, I think one of Huh? Go ahead. Go, go, I think it was. I think it was the best one ever. Like, I mean, I think yeah. when people look back, they go, "Absolutely." Pedro's starting. And when, and when it, the and, derby the I night before, know, by the way, the derby the night the before derby was, was unbelievable. Crazy. That was the best the derby. Junior. Yeah. yeah, Junior McGuire was hitting balls oh, off the Sitco so side. Griff's got his hat yeah. backwards, just freaking going crazy. deep, like you wouldn't believe. It was. Yeah. It was unbelievable. I had one of the coolest moments ever, Brian. When we were going into to uh, when Ted Williams came out. And the all century team was out there and we were lined up. We go walking up and man, I get a pat on my shoulder because we're going up to Ted Williams. 
man, it's it's George Brett, bro. And he's like, hey, man, I just want to introduce myself. I'm George Brett. I'm like, that, 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 that. that was the first time I was ever speechless. I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I'm not, no, you know. So he's like, really, really love your swing, man. That's really cool. I'm like, oh, my God, that's one of the coolest moments of my life. Fast forward, bro, Derek Jeter's last year. I'm doing the uh, red carpet show with Greg Amzinger and Jeter comes up and we ask him, man, of all the championships you've had, all the 20 years, 3,000 hits, what's the greatest memory you've had in the big leagues? He goes, 99 All-Star game. We're walking up to the mound to, to be with Ted Williams and Hank Aaron puts his hand on Jeter's shoulder and is like, hey, I just want to introduce myself. I'm Hank Aaron. It was, it was, it's great to meet you. Did you have a moment when that was all happening? Was there a moment for you walking up to Ted Williams there uh, on, at Fenway? You know, I, I did because, you know, growing up, I loved Joe Morgan in Cincinnati. And to see him out on the field. And, you know, Hank and I became such great friends in Atlanta. Uh, it, it was, man, it was so many stars there, man. It, it was, it was, I was, it was a privilege to be on the field with those guys, to be honest, man. You grow up watching them and they become great. And now you look at them, they aged a lot, but just yeah. to shake their hand, got a couple autographs from some of those guys, man. So memories I will never, ever forget. So cool. So cool. Man, me, me too, man. Memories I'll never forget either. Yep. I want to ask about one guy, bro, because I think he gets overlooked as far as one of the greatest center fielders ever played the game, but also I played against him in the minors. I played against him my whole career. And I think when you're watching greatness, you know guys are Hall of Fames. Can you talk to us about Andrew Jones, man? Like yeah. you played with the cat, especially in his prime. Like, I mean, I don't I don't think Smoltz, Maddox, and Glavin are as good as they were without him roaming center field. You know, I think you summed it up, man. This guy was probably the greatest outfielder I've ever played with. Uh, you know, we had games out there. We just make up stuff just to challenge each other, man. <laughs> Watching him, you know, we would move all the way in just to see if somebody can hit the ball over our head. I mean, I've never seen anybody like him be so smooth, so graceful, and cover so much ground. Like like him, I mean, it, it was he was just so fun to watch. Uh, man, I yeah, he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I don't care what anybody says. I mean, yeah. just defense alone, <laughs> but you know, he put up some really good numbers too. Yeah, so I don't, I don't know what's keeping him out of that conversation, but he definitely, in my eyes, deserved to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, that brings up a thought to me. I forgot to, when you were talking about the cards. Can we go back to? how you might have been on the, the toughest outfield in the history of the world. You, Ronnie Gant, Langford, and then you got yeah. McGuire over there. You got Gaetti was on that team. Nobody yeah. messed with your team. Did anybody ever mess with that was team? Was there ever a fight? That was my there question? ever a brawl with that team? No, it was never a brawl with that team. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> no, that was, that was a really good team, man. We had a oh, – that was a fun year. Fun year. Nice. Three to one up on the Braves and – they came back and got us, mm. man. That was, ah. Uh, God. I still can't sleep over that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You remember You remember that stuff. That's so true. Yep. Oh, my God. Um, You got a chance to play um with, with Tony La Russa, right? For yeah. a, 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 one year. What was he like as a manager? You know what? I played with him for three years. He came three in 96 years. to the okay. Cardinals. And, you know, we were a young team. Yeah. And I remember... You know, that was Ozzie Smith's final year. Yeah. Oh, and, that's right. You know, Tony LaRussi came in wanting his respect. And 
You know, it was it was crazy, Sean, because you know everybody respects Ozzy Smith, loves Ozzy Smith, and everything goes through Ozzy Smith. And the fact that he came in and then brought Royce Clayton from San Francisco, who was yeah. one of the one of the really good young shortstops come up and coming. You know, we all kind of scratching our head, you know. And then with Ozzy, he told Ozzy, whoever wins the position in spring training oh, oh gets God. to start at shortstop. And we're sitting there like, one, why would you put that type of pressure on a young kid who has a lot of talent and, and a great future ahead of him? And then Ozzy went down there and won it outright, you know, outplayed Royce. He was nervous. And you could see that it was it was dragging him down. And then all of a sudden, opening day in St. Louis, everybody's waiting for the Ozzy Smiths flippity flip to start the season. And Tony was one of those guys that never put the lineup out early. And we're sitting there saying, why don't you put the lineup out so we know who's, you know, we can get our mind right. So we come in on opening day that morning and Royce Clayton's line, name in the lineup starting at shortstop. Oh, my God. And every player kind of looked at each other and like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> Wait until Ozzy get here. <laughs> oh, my God. Holy cow. You know what? So, you know what? That's Tony LaRussa. You know, he's going to let everybody know it's my team. I'm in control. And that's been his attitude. I mean, he, he was analytical before there were analytics. analytics. Yeah, You know, that's the way he managed the game. So he didn't have anybody's respect early in the season. Yeah. I can tell you that now. <laughs> yeah. I started Ozzie Smith. And, uh, you know, we had a lot of – it was it was a crazy season, Sean, yeah. where it was the players versus the coaches half of Manning. <laughs> and, I mean, we, we had it out in the clubhouse one time after uh, Tony Marusa jumped on John Mabry, the, one of the nicest guys ever. Ever, ever in the game, yeah, and you know we the players came to his defense, and uh, man, it was it was a crazy year. But you know, about halfway through, we called a, a team meeting, Tom Pagnazzi, and it became, you know, the players stepping up, and and we were going to do it for ourselves. You know, yeah. nothing against Tony Larusa, he still had to make the lineup, but uh, we couldn't let that bother us the way he handled things early in the season. And we made it to the playoffs and really wow. made him look really, really good in 96, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. And uh, so, yeah, he, he's a tough cookie, man. But, you know, I give him a lot of credit, man. He's a winner. And, you know, he's proven. He's proven. Yeah, that's – hey, listen, at the end of the day, you're never going to win that battle when you put Royce Clayton over Ozzy Smith. It was like Barry Larkin towards the end. You know, they bring in Felipe Lopez, all these guys. I'm like, it's Barry Larkin. Yeah. You're, you're taking yeah. Barry Larkin out of the lineup until Barry Larkin says – I'm done. You know what <laughs> exactly. I mean? Like, you know? Exactly. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. that same thought process. So we always like to play this little game. Uh, who'd you, who owned you and who did you own? So when you go back, when you go back, who owned Brian Jordan? You know who owned me was Kurt Schilling, that dang split finger. <laughs> he owned me early on. And then when I got traded to L.A., I met Sean Green. Oh. And then Sean Green was one of the smartest guys I've ever known because he could watch video in that first inning, and he knew every pitch that was coming. It was amazing. I was wow. like, he's legendary he for that, to, right? He like, would come legendary. to me and say, hey, BJ, you want to know what's coming? And I'm like, dude, no, I don't want to <laughs> know. 
because if I know a curveball coming, I'm going to try to jump out of my shoes to hit it. So then Kurt Schilling came to town, and I said, hey, when is Kurt Schilling going to throw that dang split? And, man, he told me when Kurt goes over his head, he's going to flare that glove. And I was like, no way. And I went up to the plate, and he flared that dang glove. And as soon as he flared that glove, I was like, well, I'm not swinging at this one. Oh, wow. And next thing you know, the count's in my favor, and he had to throw me a fastball, and I almost hit him. He ducks out of the way, and I'm on first base, and he looks at me like, you figured something out. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It was crazy, man. But who I own? Oh, Steve Avery, man. I would want to I'll send him a limo to come to the games, man. Him and Danny Negro. Oh my God. Danny Negro. Oh, I loved it. They were throwing balloons up there, man. Oh my God. That's so great. That's so great. Yeah, Nagel would try and sneak that change up by you probably every once in a while. Exactly. Exactly. Oh my God. So great. So, right, one of the things that I love about you, man, is that, you know. You are a true humanitarian. You know, a lot of things that you've, a lot of things that you've done during your career, but a lot of stuff that you've done, you know, uh, since your career has ended. You have the Brian Jordan Foundation where you give scholarships to a lot yes. of kids that need those scholarships. Um, you're starting to write books, which I think is fascinating, dude. I think when I was doing my research, I'm like, this Brian Jordan's writing books, kids' books is unbelievable. <laughs> Can you tell us, talk to us about about the books and and how did that start and 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 you know talk to us? Well, you know what, I started my foundation in in 1998. You know, I was still you know playing and wasn't even thinking about ending my career, but I wanted to give. My mom was an educator, and I watched her pour heart and soul in in the special needs kids and and giving them hope. So I knew if I ever make it. I was going to start a foundation and, and provide scholarships for, for kids who didn't have to get into college and further their education. So, you know, I've been doing that since 98. We've up the 35 scholarships a year now. Uh, and it's to see the smiles on these kids' face. That's what wow. it's all about. Wow. But me, I was like, how can I do more? How can I do more? In 2005, I woke up at four in the morning with this, with this idea in my head. And I just started writing it down and it became my first book. I told you I can play. Wow. And I called my mom, who was an educator, after she just chopped it up with edits. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It turned out to be a pretty good book. My kids loved it. So that book, I got a publishing company because I wanted to see where it could go. And then after that, I started self-publishing my books and overcoming the fear of the baseball. So many kids, toddlers get hit. Yeah. And they give up on the game. You know, I was a kid. I got hit in the face and I was scared to get back in there. And my dad just encouraged me, kept encouraging me. And by trying again, thank God I did. 15 years of Major League Baseball. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank God. <laughs> and then my mom, uh, again, she teaches special needs kids. She used to come home and tell me about her kids getting bullied. And so I would go to school and monitor the hallways and see who was getting bullied and become that kid's friend. Wow. And wow. now I would pick him for my teams and all of a sudden, you know, he was never scared again. He, you know, he gained that confidence and I encourage kids, if you see it happen and just become that person's friend, you would save their life. You just never know. And so then I don't know how the heck the chapter book came out, man, but it's a, it's a family of dogs, the adventure of champ junior. And uh, it's about a family of dogs where the dogs race to win dog food to feed homeless puppies. 
Oh. And Champ Senior was oh. like the fastest dog in the world. And him and his wife, who was the second fastest dog, they didn't want their kids going to doggy lane because they knew how rough it was. And how, that's how he came up, racing other rough dogs. And Champ Jr. is just like his dad. He wants to race to help other homeless puppies like his dad. So him and his sister sneak down there on Doggy Lane. So it's a cute book, man. I'm that is awesome. Him. That is so this is awesome. Un- this is unbelievable. Yes. Like, where Where does your brain, like when you started to write, did your brain oh. start to shift differently? Like how do you get these ideas? How you rocking? How you writing about Doggy Champ and this guy, whatever? It's unbelievable. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. It's funny, man, because people will say, well, can you write a book tomorrow? Mm. Nope. It just has to come, man. I don't. Yeah. I will be on a plane and trying to take a nap, and all of a sudden, is this vision just comes up, and I start writing. Who are you I mean, talking it's, to? It's, who are you talking? Who in your head? Who are you talking to? Your kids, children, like who? You know what I'm saying? Children. Yeah. It's all around children. Yeah. It's all That's around. That's brilliant, children. man. It's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. So I got a couple more books in the in the pipeline right now. The little tiger. And learn her way is going to be a special book too. Great. Oh, great! <laughs> so great, dude. This, dude what, uh, BJ, what's your message to kids? Like, if you were right now, if you had to sit in front of a, a, a bunch of high school kids uh-huh. that age, what's Brian Jordan saying to those guys? Well, I just did that yesterday in Savannah. Did you? <laughs> yeah. But you know, my message to kids is dream big. You know, no dream is too small. And and write your goals down, you know, something my parents made me do. And that will that will keep you focused, you know, and and believe in yourself because nobody else going to believe in you. <laughs> Only your parents, <laughs> but everybody else not going to believe in you. They're always going to doubt you. So it, it starts with if you believe you can achieve. Wow. And that that's my message to kids. Man. Wow, that's awesome, man. That is awesome. We. This has been so awesome, bro. We have one final thing that we do. It's it's a game we play called Nine and Ninety. Go ahead, Chinch. Why don't you okay. tell tell BJ what we do? All right. First of all, thank you. This has been amazing, and you're the best. And I'm a huge fan, so appreciate. <laughs> I say every time, like Sean, keep, you have good people around you, so I get to sit there and hang out with you. So this is a stupid, <laughs> stupid game. Nine questions, rapid fire. Basically, it's this or that. So I'll ask Sean a question. Would you rather do this or that? Whatever. He'll answer. You just pick up right off after the first his answer with your own thought. And then we'll just keep going down the line, okay? It's very dumb. Don't worry about it. Uh Uh-oh. There we go. Don't worry. (laughs) Don't worry. Hall of Fame baseball broadcaster Marty Brenneman here. It's time for 9 in 90, the most ridiculous segment in all of sports. All right. Ready, Johnny? Yeah. Morning routine. Do you have to shower to wake up? Leave me alone until I have my coffee or hungry, hungry man breakfast? Uh... Uh, I like to do the Peloton. Is that it? Is that it one? Is that one? Oh, I guess working out. All right, that's hey, fine. That's, hey, that's, both of us do the Peloton there you go. in the morning. Okay, great. <laughs> All right, this is a fun one. Right. We both like, like the Peloton. The girl, I like to watch the girls on the Peloton. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Me Perfect. Oh, this actually segues into the next one. This is more for Sean because I, I bet he does this more. Sean, when was the last time you bragged to someone about how much you bench pressed and how much did you bench? Oh yeah, I was telling my son the other day that I used to bench. I used to bench three fifty at my junior year in Richmond. No, but I came. I came in. I couldn't bench one thirty five, and I left three fifty. Wow, those days are over. Yeah. My, my son asked me, he said, "Dad, how much did you?" I said, "You know what? Back in the day, I used to lift like three fifty. 
And he said, well, can you lift up 225 now? Nope. My shoulders are killing me, too. I'm like, I, I, I can barely oh, do right, the band. The officer is setting in right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, there you go. All right, next one is in honor of uh, Baltimore native Sean. Maryland blue crab, snowballs, or pit beef? Pick one. Uh, Maryland blue crab. You got to go with that. Yeah, got to go with Maryland Blue Crab. Okay. Got yes. Beautiful. Okay. All right, Sean. Would you make a better MLB manager, NFL head coach, or NBA head coach? Oh, dude, MLB manager. I got no. I like. I got no idea what's happening. NFL. I got no idea. And NBA zero. Okay. Yeah, I was. This question was I'm really going, more for the I'm other going, guy, anyway. So I'm going with NBA, man. That was my favorite Ooh. sport. That was my <laughs> ball, man. I used to coach my kids in basketball, man. I used to drive them crazy too. I love it. <laughs> awesome. Yes. <laughs> All right, Sean. Winter, spring, summer, or fall? Uh, I like the fall. Fall is my favorite. I'm up here in Pittsburgh. Fall is my favorite time of year. 65, little chill in the air. Friday night football. <laughs> well, for me, I got to go with spring, man. Spring in the air, getting mm. close to spring training. Mm. Oh, yeah. Baseball's back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. A few more. Pick one reality show you would go on and do well on, Sean. Fear Factor, Big Brother, or Naked and, Af- Naked and Afraid? I'd be afraid if I was naked, so I'm not going to do that one. <laughs> Uh, I'd probably have to go with uh, uh, Fear Factor. I used to love that show. Like, I, I, I could get a, I'll eat a scorpion if I have to. You know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely not, man. I hate bugs, man. Yeah, me too. There is no way I'm on Fear Factor, nor do I want to get naked with some other bugs and snakes and stuff, man. So, whatever the other two yeah. bugs, I'm Big Brother. That. Yeah, Big Brother. Process of elimination. Yeah. Brian Jordan goes to Big Brother because of the mosquitoes. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Oh, great. All right, Sean. Yes. Or no, I think I know your answer. Could you finish an entire regular size pizza in under 10 minutes? Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, that's easy. Yes, <laughs> that's easy. You guys are big dudes. I'm a little guy. Uh, what would be worse, Sean? Last two stuck on an elevator or stuck at the top of a Ferris wheel? Uh, I would say I've been stuck on an elevator, so I don't want to be stuck on the top of a Ferris wheel. Okay, wow. I don't want to be closed in on that elevator. I can tell you that now. So pick me on a Ferris wheel. As long as, long as, long as I know I'm going to live through it. There you go. Okay, this last hey, one. Hey, oh. BJ, I think you're a good enough athlete, too. You could probably climb down the Ferris wheel if you had to. That's right. Okay, last one. This is for both of you. I believe you're, you should be able to answer this at the same time. But let's see if I get it. What should people be careful not to do at Richmond? Oh, oh, I, I got it. I got it. Good. Don't don't necessarily jump in the in the in the lake. In, Wait, in what? Because it, yeah. it's not as clean as you think, and it's not as deep as you think. So I I've paid yeah. that price before. Don't go canoeing. What? Hold on, guys. I thought the line is don't get caught in the web. That's the line to end the show. Oh. Anyone that listened to this got caught in the web. Because yeah. when Brian Jordan and Sean Casey get together, you know there's being web so spun good. nationwide. Okay, that's, that's right. all I know. 
you guys, you guys make, make sure you send us the Richmond. Absolutely. Oh, gonna, oh, believe me. I just talked to Coach Atkins. I'm like, dude, we'll be sending you some clips here soon. You know? so, there you go. BJ, dude, thank you so much for your time, brother. So appreciative of it, man. And uh, uh, and, and like I said, hopefully we'll get a chance. I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll see you here in the next few months when the season gets started. But hope you have a great offseason, man. And keep doing the great things you're doing. And, and thanks for joining us, brother. We appreciate it. Right. Anytime, Sean, man. Nice meeting you too, Rich. Thank you, sir. It was awesome. Right. Awesome. Okay. Take care, guys. Thanks, brother. Appreciate <laughs> it, man. <laughs> oh, Sean, I got through a whole show uh, without saying sir, and then I just said sir at the end. You're gonna <laughs> you can't sir. help it, dude. You're like, uh, Mr. Bench, Mr. Lewis, <laughs> sir, sir, Brian George, sir. Like, you guys are almost the same age. You I got respect. Because I respect people, man. I respect I know. You're, I you're, such a you're such a respectful guy. <laughs> He's so awesome. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm so glad we got to talk about how he's one of the greatest athletes of all time, history, no holds barred, and a great guy like everybody Dude, else. I think that's the coolest thing. Like, I hope so many people listen to this episode just to know how great of an athlete Brian, yeah. uh, Brian Jordan was. I mean, are you kidding me? Like, the only reason he went left football was, like he, like he said, the Falcons didn't give him a deal quick enough, mm-hmm. and the Cardinals gave him so much money to leave. Uh-huh. Had he stayed in football, who knows, man? Who knows if we're not saying Brian Jordan, you know, we talked Bo Jackson, we talked Deion Sanders. Who knows if we're not saying Brian Jordan is the greatest athlete ever? Right. Absolutely. I mean, seriously. But but also Jim Jim Thorpe, Jesse Owens, you know, talk about these great, but but you're you're, he plays three more years in the NFL at the all pro level he was playing, bro. Mm -hmm. He's compared to Ronnie Lott and Rod Woodson. Yeah. We might be talking about the greatest athlete to Here, ever play the game. Encompass it this way, okay? And thinking, knowing what we know and everybody knows about the two sports that he played, he had at one point in this show talked about how Deion Sanders said, I need you on my football team, don't go. And yeah. on the flip side, George Steinbrenner said, right. I need you on my baseball team, please come. Right. That's how good of an athlete he was. Those are two of the biggest... People say whatever you want about Steinbrenner. He knew baseball players and he knew greatness. He wanted you. I need you. Deion Sanders, I can't do this without you kind of thing. And he couldn't on that specific team. Deion Sanders could not be Deion Sanders if not for Brian Jordan standing right there. Bro, it's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing to even to even think about that. You know, and I, I think when you you think about Brian Jordan, you know, and, you know, just what how much respect he had from like, you're talking about Deion Sanders, yeah. then George Steinbrenner, the best owner in the yep. game, trying to get this guy. I loved yeah. him saying, Hey, I didn't really fully get to get my abilities out in baseball. Cause I didn't right. learn the game the way I knew football. And that's incredible because the guy yeah. didn't strike out any less than 88 times. The most he ever struck out a season drove in a hundred runs a couple of times. Mm-hmm. He hit for power, hit for average, stole bases, played a gold glove defense, yeah. and he still never fully grasped baseball. Uh, like, yeah. are you kidding me? It's crazy. Like, come on. Yeah. You always, it's funny when you're in high school and whatever, when you're in high school and you probably played hoops and a couple other things, you're like, I'm a good, I'm a great athlete. And then you come across a guy who's played two in college and you're like, Oh, well, I'm not that great. And then you look at there's There's only 10 people in the history of the world who could even remotely hang out in the same room as Brian Jordan with his athleticism and, and, and his skills. And I'm buying every one of those books as soon as we oh, are done. I swear to the, the dog book. I almost started tearing up and you, you and I both have dogs with the same yeah. name Macy. And I was like, I, I gotta get this. I gotta get all this. <laughs> Dude, I am going to go get his books. I just think that's even, I think it's so cool. The influence that his dad mom had right. on him, yes. especially his mom is the educator. When he yeah. said he went to Richmond, yeah. wanted to get that degree first. And then, Oh, by the way, 
was going to be a first round pick in both sports had he not hurt himself in the Super Bowl. I mean, are you kidding yes. me? Like, yes. dude, I tell you what, when I went to Richmond, bro, when I my first year there, this guy was the, all everyone talked about. Brian Jordan mm-hmm. is Brian Jordan. That. I'm like, and then I told you when I got to the big leagues, everyone's like, who'd you want to meet? Do you want to meet McGuire? This guy knows. I wanted to meet Brian Jordan. <laughs> like, I wanted to meet Brian Jordan. I was like, this guy's a legend. In my eyes, you know, and amazing. And like I said, a legendary humanitarian too. what he Mm -hmm. does with his Brian Jordan Foundation, what he does with these kids books, what he does influencing guys. Like you said, he's he's in Savannah right now uh, talking to high school kids. I mean, the guy's giving back, you know, he's really taking it. And I know his faith is a big part of his life. And I'm sure that drives his heart. So I don't know, man. Chase, that was a good one for me. bro. (laughs) That was was like. We've been, we've been talking about him like oh, football season's coming up. Brian Jordan, Brian Jordan, Brian Jordan. We've been talking about him for like a couple months now. I'm so glad we yeah. got it on, and he did yeah. not disappoint Ian, more more than I could have ever imagined. And I was looking forward to it anyway. Yeah, no, so good, man, so good, and man, we awesome, awesome, <laughs> awesome guy. I just good for us, good for us, <laughs> good for us. High five on that one, bro. High five on that one. And for all the people, good for you guys that are listening to these conversations. Seriously. <laughs> I'm serious, Chinch, right? I like, for all the people that are tuning in, like, you're basically sitting here with Chinch and I. We're yep. as fired up as you guys yep. are to get to talk to some of these unbelievable athletes yeah. and boxers. We talked to Boom Boom yeah. Mancini. Yep. You know, we talked to Jerry Ferrara, you know, Michael Mal. Just cool. Yeah. All the and guys we that we've been come, talking we to. We both come from a format where it's quick five minutes, two minutes. My favorite thing that we get to go is just let these guys tell their stories. Because yeah. you don't get on a network, and there's nothing. This is just a different format. Like you don't, you can't go on a network and ask them how their kids are doing. You can't go on a network and ask them, you know, when you take us back to when you were in eighth grade. If you asked that when I was producing a television show, I'd be like, oh my god, we're gonna run out of time. And the fact <laughs> hey, that these guys we gotta get the commercials. The, yeah, yeah. And the fact that we can sit there and just hear the stories from good people telling, yeah, how they grew up is it's been an honor. I like it. It's awesome, man. It's awesome, and, and I just want to say all the people out there are still. Uh, you know, listening to us that are, that are, that are finding us. If you just found us, we, we always say every week, subscribe, download. <laughs> yeah. Chinch and I are still trying to figure out the system, but we know that's important <laughs> for what we're doing. We think so. Please subscribe, please download and, uh, and, and please leave us some comments. And if there's yeah. anybody you guys want to hear, we yeah. see the comments. We, we see would, them we, all. We, we talk we, back. Shout out. Yeah. To and we'll, and we'll yeah. And yeah. we appreciate all the feedback and uh, we're going to keep delivering uh, every week and uh, we will hopefully see you guys soon go to wherever you find your podcasts we also up on YouTube yep. and we're also on nofilter.net you so appreciate everybody for tuning in Chinch I love you brother love you, man. and uh, another great one man yep. I will see you I'll see you next week buddy alright pal All right, man, I'll talk to you